this is one powerful conversation you do not want to miss. And it's perfect for anyone who is struggling with the stress of not knowing who they are, what they want, and which direction to take in their life. I have with me Sunday Times best-selling author, speaker, and teacher, Jamie Smart, who has upgraded his classic book, Clarity, and is here to deep dive with me into the truth of who we are and what we are truly capable of. As I said, you really don't want to miss this. And welcome, Jamie Smart. It's really great to be here. Great to see you again, Paul. Yeah, I, yeah, it was over 10 years ago, um, a very long time ago, that um, I went to one of your talks uh, in Hove on um, word salad. I think if you um, recall doing anything on, on, based on that, it was uh, absolutely fascinating. And I remember a few years later, you released a book, uh, called Clarity, which I absolutely loved. And congratulations on it being a Sunday Times bestseller. Oh, Another, thank you. Well, yeah, actually, yeah. it was my book Result that was a Sunday Times bestseller. Oh, yeah. But who knows? The new edition of Clarity could be too. We'll see. Well, we're putting that intention out there, obviously. Um, I loved Clarity. I got so much from it. And when you when I um, saw on your social media that there was a, a new edition, um, I thought this is a good uh, a good. Uh, time to get in contact with Jamie and uh, get him to come on the show because I think it's quite an important book. Um, so for anyone who's never read Clarity or thinking what is it all about, can you put it in a in a nutshell of what they would be expecting if they picked up your book? Yeah, sure. So so I'll, I'll do a quick nutshell, which is hmm. the, the idea of Clarity is, and what I describe as the principles behind Clarity are pointing to our innate capacity for resilience, peace of mind, mental clarity, good ideas. You know, it's funny, Paul, I've asked audiences all over the world, ranging from business executives to prison inmates to uh, military personnel to coaches and therapists, I ask them a question, which is, when do you get your best ideas? And the answers are always the same. It's in the shower. It's when I'm out for a walk. It's when I'm just dropping off to sleep or just waking up in the morning. And the reason or on holiday or driving to and from work. And it's because those are times when uh, we're not necessarily thinking about anything in particular. And so it creates a space for our innate capacities to come to the surface. So that's what clarity is about. Not just about when you get good ideas, but what it turns out is that uh, there's a, uh, a fundamental misunderstanding that we've all been kind of conditioned and indoctrinated with innocently, which has us looking outside of us for things which can only be found from within. Now, I, I'll give you my own, my own story about that, which is, um, Back in 2008, I had a successful business. It was running pretty much on autopilot. I was off doing my first uh, mini retirement uh, on a three-month ski vacation. And I was miserable. And I couldn't figure out why. Because according to the rules of my industry, which is the world of personal development and all that sort of thing, I should be totally happy, right? I've got everything the way I wanted. I've got the kind of freedom I wanted and all that sort of stuff. So I went back to the drawing board. And I stumbled across what I consider to be psychology's best kept secret. And I started exploring what I, what I call the principles behind clarity. And I started having insights. And my first insight was, oh, 
everything you've been looking for outside of you is already there within you. Now, I don't mean cool shoes wow. and cars and houses and that sort of thing, but all the, the feelings of well-being and peace of mind and security and freedom and love and connection that so many of us have been told come either from possessions or achievements or finding the right relationship or the right place to live or all that sort of stuff. All of that stuff comes from within. Now, here's the funny thing. I'd read that in spiritual books and that sort of thing. And I'd kind of known it intellectually, but I didn't really know it. I didn't have a felt experience of it. And the fir my first insight as I started exploring these principles was, oh, everything you've been looking for outside you, it's already there within you. Well, I went from knowing that intellectually to knowing it like you know your own name. And it immediately took so much off my to-do list and allowed me to focus on what really mattered. Second insight, a few weeks later, I suddenly realized, oh, the fact that a person can even see or hear or feel or perceive, the fact that you can even hear my voice means you have the source of mental health and well-being and resilience and realization and transformation already there within you. You've already got it. Well, that was a game changer for my work as a coach and a trainer and doing therapeutic change work with people because all of a sudden I'm just so much more hopeful for all my clients. Like if someone sits down in front of me, I, I'm looking at them and it's like, I know you have this within you. You've got it. You've got it. So mm. I'm very comfortable about that, very relaxed about it. And that becomes kind of infectious. People pick up on it. Uh, so, so that was my second insight. But the third one, it was in June of that year, and I suddenly realized that these principles we're talking about, that these are to psychology what the discovery of germs was to medicine. Now, bold claims require bold evidence, right? Mm -hmm. But here's, here's what I'm saying. Like, if you think back even a couple of hundred years, nobody knew about germs. Nobody knew that there was a link between germs and infection. And as a result, women were safer giving birth in the street than they were in a hospital because hospitals were nightmare hellscapes of germs and bacteria, right? Well, today, and, and, and the, the reason for that was there was just a fundamental misunderstanding about how infection and disease were created. Well, a couple of hundred years later, we've got a fundamental misunderstanding of how the mind works. And as a result, we're undergoing a humanitarian crisis in mental health. We're seeing it with young people. We're seeing just in, in things are in a shocking state. And there are amazing change workers out there trying to help people with stress and anxiety and depression and all that sort of stuff. But often working from within a misunderstanding about the, how the mind works, which makes it kind of like throwing a baked bean at a charging rhinoceros. It's like, it, it, it's, uh, it's, it's hard work. And what I realized in 2009 is, oh, these principles are to psychology, what the discovery of germs was to medicine. And I suddenly had this incredible sense of purpose and direction. That's what inspired me to write the first edition of Clarity, and it became a bestseller. It's what's 
guided all my work over the past 10 years. And the reason I've brought out this new edition of Clarity is because I've had another 10 years of insights and realizations, another 10 years of field testing with different scenarios. And so uh, all like all kinds of research and that sort of stuff that's in the book. So I, I'm just I'm just delighted to be able to share this understanding with anyone who wants to listen. Yeah, it definitely is a big upgrade. Um, I love the, uh, the, the additional uh, chapter on um, the trouble with enlightenment. There's so much good information there, especially if you've got a, a fear of public speaking or social anxiety, uh, some really great info. But do you ever get with um, your teachings, I mean, you might have experienced it yourself, resistance to what it is that you're, you know, to your principles, do you get resistance to what really, but I've got bills to pay and, um, you know, and I really do want that yeah. new bit of tech. Yeah. So what, what would your advice, what, what have you been through? Yeah. Well, and what, here's the thing. It, this looks super practical to me. Like, mm. like for instance, I love going on holiday. So I'm going on holiday next month and I'll have a great time and that sort of thing. But that experience is coming from within. It's not that we don't need houses, cars. And, and by the way, People, there are going to be people listening to this who have some very real challenges in their lives where clear decision making is very important and uh, where there are, you know, serious, serious choices that need to be made and that sort of thing. So I'm not I don't want to diminish that in any way. Um, but what what I'm pointing to is there's a way that your mind works and there's a way that it doesn't work. The way, so I'll give you a, a simple metaphor for this. Um, probably 10 to 20% of people listening to this uh, still have a, a, a teddy bear or a, a security blanket when they go to sleep. They, I think it was Travelodge or Premier Inner They did a study and they found that 35% of their adult guests still carry their teddy bear or security blanket, which I understand. Now we give teddy bears and you know bunny rabbits and things to little kids as a transitional object to help them you know get to sleep and that sort of thing and it, the child experiences a sense of comfort and security and well-being and safety when they hold that transitional object to them mm. but as adults we know that those feelings of security and comfort and safety aren't coming from the teddy bear they're coming from within the child like a hundred percent of that experience is coming from within the child and 0% is coming from the teddy bear. So we get that, you know, the teddy bear is made of stuffing. There's no feeling transmitter in it. 100% is coming from within the child. But we overlook that when we start engaging with the adult teddy bears of jobs and bank accounts and partners and uh, objectives and the past and the future. And we innocently get tricked by our perception into making matters worse than they actually are, to seeing things without the kind of clarity that's going to help us make good decisions or, and sometimes take the tough decisions and, uh, you know, have those creative insights and, and that sort of thing. So I'm, I'm absolutely not saying that people don't have real challenges in life. Like I have real challenges in life. What I'm saying is that within you is a source of clarity, resilience, security, creativity, uh, and presence that can allow you to find solutions to all the problems you're ever going to face and to have a beautiful life 
regardless of the ebb and flow of the circumstances of life. Like, you know, the, the changing circumstances of life are a reality for all of us, mm. but you have a source of clarity, peace of mind, and well-being within you that can counter all of that. That's my assertion. Now, here's the thing, Paul. You said the question you asked was, do you ever get resistance? I'm like, yeah, all the time, because it sounds look what I'm what I'm saying on the face of it sounds like crazy talk at first. And people are like, no, it can't be that simple. But what I found is this as my own understanding of these principles has got deeper and deeper and deeper, uh, my ability to kind of meet people where they are and then help them navigate whatever their you know blockages might be at first so they can see through to that source of clarity and peace and resilience that's within them. So uh, it, it's kind of funny, actually. The most resistant client I ever worked with was myself. I, I was <laughs> introduced to these principles first back in 1999. And I was like, nah, this is too simplistic. It's, it's more complicated than that. What I do is better and that sort of thing. And it was another like nine years before I was willing to hold still long enough to see what this was. And when I did, it was, it was life-changing. And that's what I see with a lot of people. You know, it's kind of funny, actually. So the new edition of Clarity is out. The, the first edition has like 300 reviews, a bunch of which are five-star, like, I don't know, 60 or 70% or five-star. But a decent number of them are like 10% or something, or one-star saying this is nonsense and that sort of thing. So it's kind of interesting. You see people, like large numbers of people, whose lives have been transformed, like genuinely transformed through this understanding because they're willing to see something new. Uh, and it's, I know what it's like when we, when we read a book or listen to a, a podcast or whatever, we have a tendency to try and process it through what we already know. So we're listening, we're going, yeah, I agree with that. No, I don't agree with that. You know, they, we're, we're trying to make sense of it. What I'm pointing to is a little different. What I'm pointing to is a way of reading and listening. What's well, kind of interesting, Paul. I often say to my clients, you know, while I'll tell stories and give you information and that sort of thing, the things that are going to make a real difference to you in your life, they're going to come from within you. They're going to come from uh, the heart of your being. They're going to be insights and realizations that can change your life. And so that requires kind of a different way of listening than most people are used to. Uh, so it's one of the first things I talk about in the book. It's sort of like, mm. you know, those magic eye drawings they had, they were very popular at one point. I could uh, never see them. Kind of I could. Yeah. Well, well, me neither until I learned to kind of look at them with a relaxed, soft-eyed gaze, and then all of a sudden things come jumping out of the picture. Well, the stuff I'm pointing to is kind of like that. You, you almost want to listen like you're listening to, I don't know, poetry or music or something like that, because the, the, the principles behind clarity are pointing to something that's already there within you, that already exists at the heart of your being, but that you may have been overlooking until now. And, and if you're willing to, to look in that direction, to listen in that direction, we see again and again that people have transformative insights. Like you were, you were talking about the new chapter. One of the people in that chapter, 
uh, Helen. She wrote to me uh, about six years after the book, no, uh, four years after the book was published. And she said, uh, hey, Jamie, I know your book probably wasn't meant to do this, but I've been suffering with post-traumatic stress disorder for 10 years. I've been going to therapy. I've been having CBT and uh, all kinds of different things. And nothing really helped very much. She said, I read your book and I don't have PTSD anymore. She said, in all that time, no one ever said to me, there's nothing wrong with you. You work perfectly. You're not broken and you don't need fixing. There is something that you could do with realizing about who you are and how your mind works, but you're fine. So she sent me that email, I don't know, six, seven years ago. I did a follow-up with her for the new edition. So six years later, uh, she's she still doesn't have PTSD. She's building a business with her husband. She's uh, happy. And if I'd have heard about that 20 years ago, I'd been like, that's not possible. That's not a thing. A person can't just realize something and then it clears up years of mental health issues and that sort of thing. And what I'm saying is not only is that possible, but it's normal in my world. We see that again and again and again, where people are experiencing profound changes, massive increases in the amount of love and connection in their life, massive increases in the amount of happiness and well-being in their lives. And, and it's why I'm so it's why I'm so passionate mm-hmm. about sharing these principles with the world, because you know, there's there's this my assertion, Paul, is you know how most people have a lot on their minds more than ever these days with all the social media and algorithms and deluge of information. Mm -hmm. What I'm saying is there's something you can learn and understand. And when you do, it's going to take stuff off your mind automatically without having to meditate or remember stuff or any practices or anything. It'll take stuff off your mind automatically, uh, giving you the freedom and confidence and inspiration to live a beautiful life. It is beautiful. And I love this, you know, I love the story of the, of the, of Jenny and the PSD, uh, PTSD. Um, it's almost like she had a reset. And I think, I mean, I, I do meditations and I uh, do them on my podcast and, uh, you know, I talk about reconnecting with the true self. And when you sit with the truth of who you are, that we have everything we need. Um, and there's a wonderful quote by James Allen is that we're, um, we don't get what we want. Uh, we get what we um, what we are. In other words, we don't attract what we want. We attract what we are. I think that was the actual quote. And when a person comes back to, to their true selves and they're feeling the love and they're feeling their own kindness and they're feeling their own gentleness within and they have everything they need because there's nothing we need in this moment. Is it? We are abundant. We have everything. Um, then we seem to have a different experience of reality. Something seems to reset in, in people exploring this. So, so it's a, such a beautiful story to hear that. Do you think from the um, from your experiences with this, that we are tapping into a soul, a higher self, a, a, a le- different level of consciousness? What, what are your thoughts? Well, I'll give you my take on it. I got to say, I love that James Allen quote. I couldn't agree more. I think that's true. Uh, we don't attract what we want. We attract what we are. Mm. And they, I, I'll, I'll go even further. I, I'd say we don't attract 
what we want, we, we attract what we believe we are. And I explain why I say it like that, because yeah, yeah. my assertion is that I like to hijack a, a, a quote by Tillard Desjardins. He said, uh, uh, my version of it goes like this. We're not human beings having a spiritual experience. We're one spiritual being having 8 billion human experiences. And who you really oh, are yeah. is that one spiritual being. Who you really yeah. are is consciousness itself. So it looks to me, Paul, like that's who we really are. And then we have all our you know, conditioning and beliefs and ideas and ego and that sort of thing, which create who we think we are. And it turns out that so much of our lives is spent trying to kind of protect this idea of who we think we are, when actually who you really are is like would dwarf the idea of who you think you are. Like, it's so amazing. You've got so much going for you. So, so I don't know, like you use the word soul, how it looks to me. But again, this is, this stuff is in the domain of uh, unfalsifiable. So like, how would we know it's true? But true. how it looks to me anyway, is that thing I, I, I said uh, about, you know, we're, we're one spiritual being having seven, eight billion human experiences, sort of like you know, I've got an iPhone, right? And every couple of years I get a new one whenever they badger me to upgrade or whatever. <laughs> so, uh, and there are six or seven billion phones in the world, but they're connected to one internet. There's one internet that's uh, illuminating all those phones and connecting them and that sort of thing. And, that, and to me, uh, our, our physical bodies are sort of like the phones and who we really are is like the internet. And then... And then the soul looks to me like the, I'll sound all physics-y, <laughs> unjustifiably physics-y, but if the, if, that, if the internet is non-local, right? If the consciousness is non-local, like it's everywhere all at once, then our soul is the local instantiation of that non-local power. So you'll, you know, our, our, whether we call it our soul or who we really are, that sort of thing, like there are going to be things that are in the cards for your soul or my soul that aren't in the cards for someone else's because they got mm. something else going on. But I got no evidence for that. It's just kind of how yeah, yeah. it looks to me and how I see it play out in people's lives. Yeah, what do you think? Me of, yeah, I, I, I was interviewing Corey Mascara, uh, the monk and spiritual teacher, uh, last week, what a week before, weeks fly by, but we were discussing um, about the importance of sitting in silence and that we don't spend enough time connecting with ourselves, our true selves, you know, soul, heart mm -hmm. consciousness, whatever we want to call it, whatever resonates. Um, so we don't get to listen to that clarity. It, it just when I was rereading your uh, book, it just reminded me of some of the things that I've, I've been hearing for the past few years of how important it is to sit in silence and be able to connect with yourself. Do you, what, what would you recommend someone do if they wanted to tap into that source of clarity? I mean, I meditate, so that's, that's good for me, uh, but that's not, I know that's not necessary because I can just be quite present and that has a similar effect to a degree, but what would you recommend to anyone listening to yeah, this? Yeah, in terms of what I'd recommend, in terms of what I'd recommend, there are a couple of things. The first thing I'd recommend is, get an understanding of these principles because my experience is, and I, I, I spent many years uh, doing various forms of meditation and that sort of thing. 
But until I understood these principles, the amount of time I actually spent in that quiet space was very small compared to what I get to spend in it now. So my first, the first step would be get it, get an understanding of these principles and then find your, your, see the, the distinction I draw, Paul, is between the practice of meditating, which lots of people like and can be really valuable for people, mm. and the experience of meditation. And how it looks mm. to me is like the experience of meditation is something, it's a state of mind that is uh, spontaneously occurring for everyone. And then we'll all have our own kind of domains where we enjoy experiencing that and where we can uh, get access to that. So for instance, for one person, it might be meditating. For someone else, it might be swimming. For someone else, it might be going for a walk. For years before I knew any of this stuff, I would go for a walk in the woods every day and my head would quiet down. And that was how I had the experience of meditation. Mm. So... I, I think step one is get an understanding of these principles, especially because I know there are going to be people who are listening who have tried meditation and it hasn't worked for them and that sort of thing. But that's because they've put their attention on the practice, the behavior of meditating, rather than than seeing that the thing that's going to make the difference is the experience of meditation. Mm. It's, the, it's the felt experience of dropping out of your... Uh, thinking and into the moment and different people will have different ways that that happens for them for someone else it might be while they're writing for someone else it might be uh, uh, just lying in bed in the morning there there uh, someone once said to me there are many roads up Mount Fuji but that, then I heard there are no roads up Mount Fuji but there are paths so <laughs> yeah it could be one of those um it might do you ever looked at the work of Stephen Kotler um in regards to flow states yeah. 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 So it it seems like there's something familiar with this in regards to being able to access a flow state where, you know, like walking. Um, I know that you you mentioned skiing uh, before and I love to ski. And it reminds me of when I was skiing a few couple of weeks ago, I was coming down a mountain and my ego got a bit nervous because I was going quite fast. Um, and then suddenly, it was, uh, as I went into flow with it, there's the, the voice inside just said, trust me. You know, it's it's very deep. Yeah. It just almost like it emanated through everything. It's just a trust me, um, and it it there was a flip between. It. it was like no, and then it was just trust me, and it was nice. It was a very nice experience. Um, so I'm fascinated by flow states, and this seems very uh, very similar to some degree. Um, but do you notice the more you enter clarity and the more insights you get, the more you seem to experience a reality where you're noticing more synchronicities and more things seem to go right for you? Is there something along those lines that some that comes along with clarity? Here's what I found, and we'll, we'll start with the flow states. Mm. Like, I loved your story about when you're skiing, and to me, the, the, uh, the juice in that was like, so you're kind of freaking out, and then uh, something came from somewhere else within you and just mm. said, trust me. And the juice is that you did trust it mm. rather than trusting the noise of the egos, you know, punk band and that sort of thing. You trusted that. And that allowed you to find your way into that flow state to get what you needed and that sort of thing. Well, 
what I've found is that over, over the years, so I've been exploring this understanding for about 14 years, those flow states are more and more available because I know, I, I know where they come from and I know what I don't need to pay attention to. So I'm never, I'm never trying to get into a flow state because I just trust that they'll show up. Uh, and it's one of those self-perpetuating cycles. It shows up uh, that kind of the more you pay attention to it, the more you get to rely on it. So I, I'd encourage that to anyone. Um, in terms of synchronicities and stuff, here's what I found. The, the places, the times in my life uh, when I've been uh, more and more open to synchronicity and noticing them and being guided by them and by intuition and wisdom in general are the places where I'm not trying to exert vice-like control on how things have to be and that sort of thing, where I've been willing to be guided by something else. And so I'd, I'd love to tell you, Paul, that, yeah, ever since I learned the principles, that's just become more and more the case. But the fact is there have been times over the past 10 years where I've got really caught up in, yeah, things need to go this way and I need mm. this to happen and that sort of thing. When I'm doing, when I'm too busy telling life how I want it to be, I'm not leaving the space for life to tell me how it wants it to be, Right. And so that I've found that the the more I'm willing to kind of relax that and allow uh, allow myself to be guided uh, to listen to what what life wants for me rather than what my ego wants for me or my fears want for me and that sort of thing the more I get to experience it and then I open to synchronicity and that sort of thing and and uh, yeah I, I can't remember who said it but I I heard someone say. Uh, something wonderful about synchronicity, which I decided, yeah, I'll take that, which is, uh, they said, when you're, when you're experiencing synchronicities, it's sort of life's way of telling you you're on the right track. Yeah, I hundred I percent agree with that. That's how I feel. I know I'm on the right track, but even when something goes wrong, I surrender to it. Well, I do my best to surrender to it. There's some resistance at times, obviously. Um, but when, as soon as I surrender, then the, the synchronicity begins to come up from that. So I always see a bit of resistance as normal and a natural path to the synchronicity beginning to form. Yeah. So, but yeah, I absolutely agree with you that it, it, it takes us on the right path. What do you think is preventing people from going into clarity? What is, you talk about contamination in your book, um, but what is it that's yeah, so, preventing so... us from having that clear mind? Well, so the the main thing is that we have been schooled in a belief about how the world works, schooled not just by society and our friends and family and our upbringing, but by our very own neurologies. Like it genuine, like there's a quick bit of neurology here. There, there's a the way that our experience is created is like we've got eyes, right? And ears and senses and stuff. And it genuinely seems to us like we're inside our skulls looking out through windows at a world out there, right? But that's not what's going on. What's going on is those senses are data receptors and data is pouring into our system. And then our system takes a guess uh, what must be out there? Basically, it goes, what must be out there for me to be receiving this data? 
okay? And it creates a 3D perceptual reality. Now, this is not be, me being a hippie weirdo. This is stuff that was discovered by the grandfather of uh, um, uh, neurology, Hermann Helmholtz, like 170 years ago. This is old, settled mm. neuro uh, uh, neurology. So our experience is being created from within to a greater or lesser degree based on data that is received by our senses. And then we're walking around in this 3D holographic projection and experiencing it as an actual reality. Now, here's the thing. The degree to which there's a reasonable fit and match between that projection and what's actually out there is going to be the degree to which you're not bumping into lampposts and falling down open manholes as you walk down the street, yeah. right? So like, it's good yeah. that we've got senses. But due to a trick of the mind, that same process has it seem like our felt experience is coming from out there in time and space. So I'll give you an example. There's this famous piece of research from the 1970s where they looked at lottery winners and people who had uh, been rendered uh, quadriplegic or paraplegic due to accidents. And they did a follow-up with them a year later. And what you found in the follow-up is that people who had been happy before they won the lottery were happy a year later. People who had been happy when they were uh, uh, rendered quadriplegic or paraplegic were happy a year later. People who had been miserable before they'd been re rendered quadriplegic or paraplegic were miserable a year later. And people who were miserable before they won the lottery were miserable a year later. Mm -hmm. It's called hedonic prediction, and it turns out as human beings, we're not very good at predicting how we're going to feel in future situations, but we believe that we're geniuses at it. We set our goals based on how we want things to be, and that's fine, but we believe, and this is what happened to me when I went to Whistler. I was like, once I've got my business running on autopilot and I'm on my three-month ski holiday I'll be so happy there will be sun shining out of all my orifices. And it wasn't <laughs> true. And I thought yeah. I was good at predicting, and I wasn't. Well, it turns out people are terrible at predicting how they're going to feel in so-called positive future, future situations, but also negative ones. And because of that and the various ways that plays out due to past events, future events, circumstances, that sort of thing, our heads fill up basically based on the idea that that there's something out there with power over how we feel. And when, as soon as we believe that we're separate from life and that there's something out there with power over how we feel, we get very focused and sped up on trying to control that mm. thing that we think is going to vouchsafe our happiness or make us miserable or whatever. And that mistaken belief is the source of the vast majority of unhelpful stress, worry, anxiety, fear, insecurity, greed, all the stuff that we see messing with people in the world, the vast majority of it is being driven by the mistaken belief that we're separate from life and there's something out there with power over how we feel. I 100% agree with you on that. Which I refer to as yeah. the outside in misunderstanding. Yeah. I, Sorry, I, I, I interrupted yeah. you, Paul. No, no, that's fine. I, I was just saying that I agree with that because it's we have this ego that's conditioned into tr uh, trying to control reality, demand it works a certain way um, so that we can feel safe inside. We already are safe inside, but the ego has been conditioned. It's yeah. hypervigilant. It can be all sorts of things into believing that if it has a product or an experience or a, a different type of partner, 
then um, then we'll be safe. And I heard a lovely quote from Bruce Tiff the other day. Well, I don't know if he had an actual quote, but he said, it's not our partner's responsibility to be who we want them to be. But yet often we'll try to control partners, friends, or anyone around us and, and make them into how we want them to be just so that we can feel safe inside. And of course, that doesn't tend to work out very well. Um, but yeah, it's I, I do think coming back to who we are inside, who we really are inside is something that is, I think it's becoming a bit more well-known, but I don't think people want to believe it to some degree <laughs> because um, of conditioning of, yeah, but if I have more money and if I have that job, if I, um, you know, we're bombarded by Instagram pictures of people um, working from a beach in Hawaii or wherever they are, you know, they say they are. Um, we create this idealiz idealization that we'll be happier if we have something else. Um, what else do you think would be something, so that's, what else do you think contaminates besides extrins extrinsic goals, extrinsic values? What else do you think might collude to, co to contaminate our way of thinking? Well, I think the funny thing is, I think that that our our moment to moment thinking is is just it, the nature of it, because it's using this impersonal power to create an experience. It's going to get static. And the, the while there are any number of things which may seem like they're the cause of it, the solution is actually to realize it for what it is. So th this may be a useful metaphor for people. Your feelings, whether it's feelings of stress or worry or anxiety or feelings of peace and well-being and joy, the, the uncomfortable feelings, you can sort of think of it like the rumble strips at the edge of a motorway, right? You drive it along mm -hmm. the highway and you feel those rumble strips. Well, that's a signal to move back into the middle of the road, to move back in the other direction. Just like if you if you touch a hot stove, those hot feelings are in your, you know, the burning flesh in your fingertips mm. is a signal saying, get your hand away from the stove. It's not a signal saying, you know, look deeply into the stove and figure out what's going on here. No, it's a very simple message. And, and yeah. I'd say that with a, a lot of our more uncomfortable, habitual day-to-day -day feelings, those uncomfortable feelings are just a signal to, to move away from the direction we've been thinking in and to move back in, in the direction of the easy, fluid, more profound feelings that come with clarity of thought. Mm. And the, the funny thing is, Paul, it, it's such a, a simple metaphor and such a, sim, a simple understanding that it may seem simplistic to people, but I could, you know, part of why, part of my approach to, both to writing the books and doing this work over the last, I guess, 14 years now, is I've approached it as, as much as I can, sort of like a scientist looking to falsify it, because I, I'm working on the, the basis that, the, the, you know, there's a, a wonderful quote by uh, by, um, by someone whose name I can't remember, Gregory Bateson, uh, <laughs> yeah. who said, uh, the biggest problem in the world, the biggest problems in the world are caused by the gap between how nature already works and the way people think. And so if you if you think about it, you can see the the evolution of human knowledge as being a process of closing that gap. Like we used to believe that the sun went around the earth. Oh no, it's a, it's a solar system. The earth goes around the sun. We used to believe the earth was flat. No, it's spherical. Uh, we used to believe that germs, uh, that illness was caused by bad spirits. It's like, no, it's, it's, it's germs. Uh, mm. And so as we get close, as our understanding of the world gets closer to reality, we solve lots of problems like, 
like the the discovery of germs has has led to something like a tenfold increase in quality of life and uh, mm. uh, that sort of thing, including stuff that they did about, you know, sewage and that sort of stuff to take care of that stuff. So as our understanding gets closer to reality, we uh, have less on our mind and are able to operate more freely. In fact, I'd say for any of us, the places in our lives where we uh, experience little static and wear and tear and just do things naturally and easily. Those are the places where we're closely aligned to reality and, and the places where we struggle, that's where we're adrift from reality. Like you said, about trying to make our partners who we want them to be because we think that'll make our feel safer. We're adrift from reality and sooner or later the update has to come and, and with it comes pain and suffering. So, so there's huge value in being close to reality, in knowing how our experience is created. And the thing that strikes me is that, that ever since I started exploring this is like, if this is just a belief system, I'm not interested. I only want to get on board with it if it's reality. So I've been looking for exceptions for the last 14 years. I haven't found a single one and I'm still looking. Because I want to, I want to find the anomalies. I want to find where is this. But so far, what we're talking about here, it it fits the criteria for principles. It's explanatory, it's uh, um, predictive, and there's a constant, which is that we're always living in the experience of the energy of thought taking form in the moment, and who you really are is consciousness itself. So. Uh, I encourage people to do their own research on this one and explore it for themselves and try it out in your own life and see if this isn't true. Well, I encourage people to buy your current copy of uh, the newly upgraded uh, Clarity. Uh, Jamie, there's so many questions I've written down that I've not even got around to asking you. <laughs> Never, it always works out that way, but what a brilliant conversation. Um, where can people contact you? I'll put the details in the show notes, but where can people contact you if they want to find out more? And, uh, you know, obviously I think our conversation has resonated with a lot of people. Um, so what, where can people expect to, to grab a hold of you or be in contact with your, your, your content? Uh, so a couple of places. You can go to jamiesmart.com, uh, which is my website. Uh, the books are on Amazon and Audible. Uh, you can find me on social at jamiesmart.com, like jamiesmart.com, with, but without the dot, on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. Um, uh, I'm on LinkedIn and YouTube. Uh, so all the usual places. And I've got a couple Perfect. of podcasts, the Thriving Coaches podcast and the Get Clarity podcast. So that's probably Brilliant. enough to keep people busy for a while. That but yeah, get a hold busy. of the book. The book is, yeah, the book's designed to help people go from this is kind of interesting or maybe there's something here to mm. life-changing insights. So that's a great place to start. It definitely is a great first step. Jamie, thank you so much. And thank you for everything you're doing. I mean, there are a lot of people doing a lot of great change work, as you mentioned before, and you're definitely one of them. Um, so again, thank you for, for doing that for, you know, for us and for humanity, because I said to, to keep that evolution going, there's got to be some people that are setting the pace. Eh? Yeah, I love it. Thank you for having me, Paul. It's a pleasure to speak with you. And thanks for doing what you're doing. Uh, you're welcome. Thanks very much. Mm -hmm.